0: Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. The PowerPlace exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word, so that you can engage your world. Here at the PowerPlace, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. And our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to every area of your life. Amen. What an... Honor it is to serve the Lord. I've never been more blessed in my life than when I decided to say yes to Him. I could literally just sit up here and weep and think about where I would have been had I not said yes to God. I just had a conversation the other day with Ali. If I wouldn't have said yes to him, Lord knows where I would be. I'd be pursuing my own agenda I'd be per- pursuing my own desires. And I wouldn't be fulfilled today. I wouldn't be able to see the hand of God moving in our church, in our family, the way that I see it today. And I'm, I'm, I'm so honored, so blessed, and um, privileged to be here today to speak and share this word, what God placed on my heart. And uh, Power Place men, I'm sorry you have to endure again. <laughs> As Pastor Greg said, the Power Place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, every single day. It's not just on Sunday. It's not on uh, a Tuesday men's or women's group or on a small group or on Wednesdays, every single day to help you encounter the Lord's presence every day, to be empowered by his spirit and his word so that you can engage with your world. Because that's the great commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. And so we want to walk alongside you to do that Today, what we're going to talk about is one of the unique characteristics of the, the power place, and that is bold, untamed faith. We don't live by what we see or feel. We live by the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5-7, for we live by faith, not by sight. And expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. So we come into his presence expecting for him to move. We come into his presence expecting for him to heal Paul Sheehan. We come in expecting for him to heal McKenna Bradford. We come in expecting for him to heal Jill Skinnell. And guess what? When we apply the faith, we see him move. It may not be when we want it. It may not be how or when we think it is. But if we believe in faith, we trust God, put it in his hands and say, God, I'm going to do what I can so that you can do what only you can. We live by faith, not by sight. We're in this next level faith series. And today, that's what we're touching on. We're going to look in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible today, you can pull that out or you can follow along the screen. Behind me, it's uh, in Daniel 1. We're going to read in verses 1 through 6. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is where the individuals that we're going to talk about, this is where they lived. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace." He was to teach them the literature or the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah who were brought out from, from Jerusalem. They were brought into Babylon, and they were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God, I pray today that your word would come forth with with boldness. Father, I pray that you would plant seeds deep into our heart, and God, that you would water them so that they would grow. I pray that your truth would rule and reign. I pray that your words would fall like honey from my lips. God, that it would be such an ease. God, it would be a a light weight because you make heavy things light. God, I pray that it would be your word today and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this story, we're going to see three things that the enemy will try to do to you and I, both of us, uh, all of us. And um, In Daniel 1.7, we'll start there. The chief official gave them new names. Before I really dive into it, if you're taking notes today, uh, the first point this morning is that the enemy will try to rename you. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And so I did, some, I did some research into what these names mean <laughs> and found some interesting things. Uh, because these people, these, they were God's chosen people. They were taken out of Jerusalem and placed into Babylon. And so uh, the king told the chief official, I want you to take them and I want you to make them what I'm asking you to be, for them to become. I want you to take them, I want you to rename them, I want you to give them a new identity. I want you to uh, train them in the ways that we know. I don't know if you're, you're, you're drawing this parallel here, but I want you to take these young people and I want you to teach them what we're telling you to teach. I want you to reshape them, rename them, call them things that they are not, affirm things in them that they are not. And then we'll, we'll, we'll tell them who they are. And so to Daniel, his name means God is my judge. But the name given, Belteshazzar, means lady, protect the king. Are you seeing this? A man of God. God is my judge. The focus is on God here. It's a man. His name is Daniel. Belteshazzar, your name is Lady. Protect the king. Is that not interesting that in the Old Testament, God's word can still relate to today and what's happening right now? Because his word is alive his word is like a two edged sword that pierces. Yeah. And they renamed him Lady Protect the King, the focus going from God to man. Hananiah, it means Yahweh has been gracious. And they named him Shadrach, meaning I am fearful of God. And this isn't the, I I, I have the the reverent fear of the Lord. I'm afraid to be out of his presence. It's, I'm literally terrified. I tremble at him because I'm afraid of what he might do to me. It takes the focus from God is good to God is bad. And then to Mishael, whose name means who is what God is. They named him Meshach, meaning I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. They're degrading these people. The focus goes from confidence to cowardice in a split second. No, no, no. I know. I know that this is what you were named. I know that God had his hand on you and that's what you were taught, but here's what your name really means. This is who you are. Let me feed into that. Let me pour into you what our leadership is telling us to teach you. The focus goes from confidence to cowardice. Nazariah, meaning Yahweh has helped me. They named him Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which is one of the gods that they served. Focus goes from a son to a slave. You serve him. I degrade you because you're not who they told you you were. You're not who God told you were. You're who my leader, my my authority tells you you are. Let me say this. When the world's culture shifts, you better know who you are in Christ. Because it's happening right now. The world's culture is steadily shifting. And and it may be more prominent today than it was 10 years ago, but it's the same idea. When the world's culture is shifting, know who you are. Be planted firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Know who he calls you and align with what he calls you. That's all that matters. And how do you do that? How can I practically know that I'm firmly planted in God? It's very simple. Two simple things. Spend time in prayer with God and spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer with God and spend time in his word. But I'm so busy. You don't know my schedule. No, I don't. I don't know your schedule, but I know that if you fail to do that, your life will continue to suffer. You'll continue to place a gap between you and his presence and, and nothing will bear fruit. It'll be fruit that no one wants. It'll either be dead, nasty fruit with flies all around it. You know how that goes. You know, when you let fruit sit for too long and the gnats are flying and it's like oozing this ugh, nastiness, it leaves a stain on your countertop. If you got granite, then it takes forever to get out. I'm so Sorry. Nobody wants that fruit. It's not going to bear fruit unless you're spending time in prayer with God and in his word. And uh, another encouragement I would give you is surround yourself with people who are founded in Christ to pour into you. I I don't mean just go and pick Joe Schmoe. Like, Hey, I need somebody to, to, to pour into me. I need you to sharpen me. We work together. Can you do that? No, I mean, find someone who is founded in godly truth, who has a strong relationship with him and ask him, Hey, can you, can you pour into me what God is doing you in your life? Can you challenge me? Can you keep me accountable, accountable um, to what God is asking me to do in my life? And accountability is, is so important. Uh, I mean, especially today, if you don't have someone keeping you accountable, I'm telling you, you're, you won't do what you think you need to do. You, don't, you won't do what God's asking you to do. You need someone to follow up with you. Hey, how are you doing in spending time with God? How are you doing in making him a priority in your life? And when you do, you'll begin to see things change in your life because you're applying the word of God. You're spending time with him. You, you won't be able to do it on your own. I've... I've um, I've seen these signs all over the place, but just recently uh, riding my motorcycle on back roads and whatnot, I see these signs and they say, you are enough. And I understand the intent behind them. I understand they're, they're, they're meant to be encouraging words, but every time I see them in my spirit, I'm like, but that's not true. Everything the word of God says, I am not enough. In and of myself, I will never be enough because his word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So on my own in and of myself in my own power, I will never be enough. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you, talking about the Lord, for my power is made perfect, perfect. Not just so-so, my power is not made uh, more potent. Uh, it's made perfect. There's, it needs nothing else. It lacks nothing. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, this is Paul saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Not to be a temporary solution but to be something that walks with you, that you carry, it sustains you. It's a part of who you are when it rests on you. That's why we, we, I love singing that song, uh, come rest on us. We're not asking for it to be a temporary emotional experience. We're asking God, come and dwell, come and remain, come and stay, inhabit me, dwell in me, rest on me. Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness. I'm okay that I'm I'm not enough. I'm okay that on my own, I am not enough. I acknowledge that fact. God, I need you. I need you. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul didn't have faith in himself. He had bold, untamed faith in Jesus Christ. He knew who he was in Christ, and we'll see in just a minute how Daniel knew who he was in Christ as well. We were adopted into his sonship when we accepted him as Lord and Savior, and we were given the name Child of God. The world may name you a lost cause, may name you broken, a bad parent, a bad friend, stupid, not successful enough, too far gone, anxious, depressed, addicted. But the Lord, he calls you found. He calls you whole. He calls you the head and not the tail. He calls you to have the mind of Christ. He calls you wealthy in heavenly kingdom riches. He calls us to come as we are. He calls us to a sound mind. He calls us joyful in the joy of the Lord. And he calls us free. He calls us his sons and daughters. We have sonship, daughtership with him. Know who you are in Christ. Number two, the enemy will try to tame you. Daniel 1.8 says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Don't don't back down what God don't back down from what God has called you as a Christian to be and and what he's called you to do. Don't back down. But this is what everyone else is doing. I I don't want to cause waves. I just want to go along with it. I don't want people to be upset at me. I don't want people to think that that I I have it out for them or that I'm not concerned about their well-being. I'm just going to go along with it. If God called me to do what everything everyone else was doing, how would I be set apart? If God called me to just flow with the stream, how would I then be set apart? He calls us to go against, Pastor Greg says this all the time, every dead fish can float downstream. It's the ones who are set apart, the salmon that swim upstream. We're set apart. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. It's black and white. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's the mind of Christ. It's thinking God thoughts. It's allowing him to come and wreck the way that you've had perspectives your entire life. You may have thought it was the right way. You may think it's okay, but allow God to come in and say, it's not. It's not. And guess what? Your mind is going to be offended. What are you talking about? This is what I grew up knowing and believing and, 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 and thinking was always the right way. What do you mean this is the wrong way? But when we submit to God's direction, because we always know he has our best interests in mind, then we'll begin to change our perspective. We'll begin to have the mind of Christ It'll change the way we think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love that he uses synonyms. He just, he wants to tell you over and over. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Romans 12 too. Don't become so well adjusted. This is the same scripture. It's just a a different version and I want to drive this home. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And it takes time. It takes time to mature. But as you spend time with him, that time is not wasted. It's invested. Invested time will bring about maturity, well-formed maturity. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and lead you, not the world. We live by the nudge of the Holy Spirit. When the world's culture shifts, don't drop your standards. Don't back down what God has, from what God has asked you to do. Daniel 1, verses 9 to 10. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your, your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And you, you can see in this scripture... You can see God working, but this man, he has no reference for God's faithfulness in his life. He has no clue what God could do in this situation. All he sees is is what's at hand. All he sees it for is its face value. He's never seen the faithfulness of God, but Daniel knows. He says, I know this is what my God has called me to do, so I'm going to stick by it. Listen, trust me. I know my God. He'll follow through. And Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice in this scripture right here, even after they've been named, it brings back God's naming over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. There will always be a test from the world's culture. Will you do this? Will you eat this? Will you drink this? That's what's happening in in this context, but what's happening in yours? There will be a test from the world's culture. What what is it testing you in right now? Know that it's a test and and depend on God through it. The the world may say you're required to do this for your own well-being, but we say... Let me show you how much bigger my God is than this current situation. Because I know what he's capable of. I've seen his faithfulness. Let, let Let me show you how big my God is over this current diagnosis, over this current health issue, over this current addiction. You see, because I have a faith, and it may be as small as a mustard seed, but I can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will be moved. That's the power of my God. It's not anything I do, but submit to him. I, I yield to him. God, you can do it through me. And I know this because I've, I've, I've seen God's faithfulness time and time again in my life. Uh, one of the most recent uh, stories, and I shared this, uh, well, I shared everything at Power Place Men, but I shared this with them, um, is the story of, of Allie and I, in, in selling our house and believing for a piece of property that we wanted to, to buy, we've been going, we've been dealing with this for uh, years. We've talked about what is it going to look like when we sell our home and, and how can we buy a piece of land and build because that's been my dream since I can remember. And so, um, it just never felt like it was time to, to sell our home. It never felt like it was time. In this past January, you know, as a church, we go through a twenty one day uh, fast. And when we did that, we went into this fast just you know s- submitting to God and, and saying, God, what do you want to do in us? It wasn't really for a particular reason, but along the way, I began to pray, God, what do you want to do with our home? Our family's growing. We just had our third kid, and we want more. Right, Allie? <laughs> uh, we want more kids. And uh, we're believing for more. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what the Lord said. So we're just trying to fulfill, you know, be obedient. Uh, And I love my kids. I love my family. But uh, we're growing, and I'm so I'm like God. What do you want to do in this? And in the middle of the 21 day fast, I talked to Ali. I said I felt the Holy Spirit say, "Go." (laughs) So we're going to go. We weren't ready. We weren't in any way ready. In fact, we had plans to do things in the house. And it's funny. Isn't it funny how it works? Like, you you, you have a home, and you have all these plans to do specific things. You want to update things. You want to add a patio. You want to, you know, remodel the basement, the master bath, whatever it may be for you. And so we talked about these things for years. And then right before we move, we do everything that we wanted to do for the entire 10 years of living there. That's just how it happens. So we we get all this stuff done. Um, We... Talk to our realtor. I'm like, Hey, we want to list this thing. He's like, okay, let's get it done. Um, And so we had an expectation in our heart. Like we had seen the comps around us, what the homes were selling for. And as you know, this market is kind of insane. Um, We we saw what they were selling for and we were like, okay, you know, we'd, we'd be happy if this is what we got, but you know, God, we trust you, whatever's going to happen. So we list the home, we sell the home within like three days and uh, my realtor calls me, he's like, you're not gonna believe this, this is the offer, like we got multiple offers, but this one offer stands above the rest, above and beyond the rest. It's a cash offer, meaning you don't have to get an appraisal, these people are willing to pay this much money right now in this amount of money was $30,000 more than any home in our small townhome community had sold for. I mean, unbelievable. And yeah, praise God. And, and it's not like this home was the top of the line compared to the rest of them. I mean, it, it didn't have all the bells and whistles. It didn't have the, uh, the bump outs and, and all the, the size that some of these other ones had to offer. It didn't have a walkout basement. Like, didn't have all the perks, but God said, you were obedient. You trusted me. So here you go. And we were just blown away. I mean, God came through beyond our expectations. So in, leading up to this process, we had our, our eye on a piece of property. And this property was exactly what we wanted. We walked this property multiple times and we're like, this is it. Like We, th- we want this. And so I talked to our realtor and I'm like, hey, can we pursue this. We don't have the money to put down yet. When we sell our home, we can. He said, yeah, let's just get you, uh, you know, your foot in the door. I'll talk to the seller, make sure he knows you're interested. And so we express our interest, find out there's another, uh, interested party in this property. And then we get close, like a week, maybe two weeks away from closing on our home uh, selling our home. And, um, he calls me up and he's like, you're not going to believe this, but the, uh, the property is under contract. So, you know, they're, on their, they're in their due diligence pro, uh, period. They had a very short amount of time for their due diligence. And he was like, so it's looking like this is probably going to be it. It's going to be a closed door. So we said, okay, you know, God, whatever you have for us, we, we trust you. We're, we're just trusting you. We're going to keep praying for it because we know what you can do. We've seen your faithfulness. We trust you. So uh, I'm trying to make this long story short. I know I'm giving you way too many details here. So we get to like the day before they're supposed to like close, seal the deal on this property. And the seller cancels, terminates their contract with, uh, or the, the buyer terminates their contract with the property. So they said, nope, we're washing our hands of this. We're done. We're moving on. My realtor calls me up. He's like, Dude, it's available. Do you want to do this? I said, Yes, whatever we got to do. Pull the trigger. So, right now, we are under contract. We are contingent. Uh, next month, we're supposed to close uh, from our due diligence period because God is faithful. It's nothing that we did. We submitted to Him. We said, God, it's yours, whatever you want for us, but we know what you can do, and we've seen your hand move. And even our realtor has his, uh, agreed that he can see the hand of God on this thing. He said, this is not normal. This is not normal practice for you to sell your home for what you did and then forget to, to get a property that's been under contract in this market today. It's unseen, only the hand of God. And it's the same reason that we have the pack next door, that we have the gym and it's the same reason that we're have that we moving towards opening up the Power Place Academy. We're trusting God. We're, we're saying yes to him. We're being obedient. God, I trust what you say, and I trust that your hand will move however it needs to move in this situation. Verse 15 to 19, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. Now, let me point this out again. To these four young men, God gave knowledge, not those who were supposed to be teaching them from the officials above them. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all, uh, of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And Daniel goes on to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and finds continual favor because he resolved to be set apart. He made a conscious decision. I'm not gonna follow along with what you're asking me to do because my God has asked me to do this. It's black and white. I see the world asking me to do this. I see what the word of God says. I see uh, this this thing being uh, called out of me, but I see what God calls me. He resolved to be set apart. And let me promise you this. You'll never, you will never lose out by holding higher standards. You'll never, I've never heard anyone say, I just wish I would have lowered my standards. I mean, really though, like what, what would it? affect you? How, how would it negatively affect you to raise a standard because you want to have a more intimate relationship with Jesus? How would that affect you negatively? I don't understand the world's thinking of, Oh, I'm going to miss out on so much. If I just let go of that. No, you're letting go of dead branches so that you can grow and bear fruit, let go of it and let God do the work in you to bear the fruit. And let me be clear in this. I want to be very clear. Morality in and of itself does not earn you the righteousness of Christ. It does not make you holy. Morality in and of itself does not make you holy. I just want to make sure you hear that today. In fact, I was, I was doing a study um, on Charles Spurgeon and he wrote this in the late 1800s. And when I read it, it just resonated with my spirit. In fact, I shared this with Ryan because it was such a a beautiful picture between the concept of morality, which a lot of the world carries, the concept of morality and the concept of holiness. And he says this, morality is a sweet, fair corpse, well-washed and robed, and even embalmed with spices, but holiness, is the living man as fair and as lovely as the other but having life morality lies there of the earth earthy soon to be food for corruption and worms holiness waits and pants with heavenly aspirations prepared to mount and dwell in immortality beyond the stars these twain are of opposite nature The one belongs to this world, the other belongs to that world beyond the skies. It is not said in heaven, moral, moral, moral art thou, O God. But holy, holy, holy art thou, O Lord. You you note the difference between the two words at once. The one, how icy cold. The other, oh, how animated, such as mere morality and such as holiness. And later in years, an evangelist named Adrian Rogers went on to make this really concise, and, and something that's really stuck with me, especially recently. He said this, "Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness." by achieving things, by, by following a set of standards and rules and regulations, you will not see Christ. You won't. But by pursuing him, by accepting him into your life, that's what makes you holy. He plants the seed of his spirit inside you. That's the beginning of holiness And as that seed is watered, as the word is poured into you, as a relationship with God grows, that seed begins to grow. The holiness inside you begins to grow. And then you begin to see the outward effect of the holiness that's happening inside you based on receiving Christ. You will never see Christ based on just doing things that are moral. They're great. And in fact, your life will reflect that as you pursue God. But if you start with that, you will not end with Christ. You have to start with Christ to end with holiness. Daniel one twenty, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better. 10 times. Like that's, if, you were, if I were to take two random people out of the audience right now and just base it on this, uh, this specific phrase, a matter of wisdom and understanding, I may have, you know, a difference and we would have to go through all sorts of tests and questions and all this kind of stuff. I may have a very narrow uh, window here. I may find, you know, someone 20 percent more knowledgeable or 30 percent more knowledgeable, but to be 10 times better. That's the set apart right there. That shows the hand of God and the favor on his life, not because of who Daniel is, but because of his pursuit of the father. Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And guess what? Because of this, because he was ten times better, there were people around him that were angry. They were jealous. They were like, "Who?" Who is this dude that, that thinks he's so much better than us that carries himself in that way? Who, they didn't understand it was the spirit of God. They didn't understand that, that he had a relationship with God. They just knew that something was, was different. They didn't, they didn't see what was happening yet. But they knew something was different. And they said, we gotta take care of this. We gotta take care of this dude because he's making this look bad. And they plotted to kill him. There will always be people that see favor and blessing, the favor and blessing of God on your life, and they'll be jealous of that. It's not because God is showing them any kind of favoritism, it's because you're deciding to pursue God and that's having an effect on your life. It's all based on your pursuit of him, he's waiting. He's always there, he's ready, he's willing, what are you willing to do? How are you being set apart? How are you being seen and viewed side by side against someone who follows Christ and someone who follows the world? It's, it's, it's like this, you know, the story of the, the disciples. There were 12 of them, right? 12 disciples that Jesus had. He called them out. But as we read the Gospels, you distinctly see that there were three disciples who stood out among the rest. And, and, and you, you could say, oh, well, God was just showing them favoritism. He just liked these few more than the others. No, based on his word, you can see them moving closer to God. They're asking him questions. They're, they're drawing near to him. And his word says, as we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. So it's not anything, it's not God showing favoritism. It's them wanting to know him so much more that they're willing to be with him more. They're willing to go with him places and I'll tell you, just by experience and reading these, these gospels, they're not perfect people, just like you and I. In fact, Peter denied Jesus. Remember that? The rooster crowed, and he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you told me this was gonna happen. But, but still, Peter loved Jesus. James and John, they loved him so much that they were willing to spend all the extra time with him. They said, I wanna know you more. I want to spend time with you and I want to know your heart. And they stood out just like Daniel did. Daniel prayed every day, three times a day from his window facing Jerusalem. Three times a day. I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning about how the power place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily Daniel knew the power of experiencing the Lord's presence daily. Three times a day, he was consistent. It was every day. I guarantee you for him, it wasn't easy. I guarantee you for him, he had to take time out of his day to go and do that. But he made it a priority. He said, God, you're, you're more important than everything else. I'm going to make it a, a point every day. Three times a day, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to make it visible. Daily encounters with the Lord matter. James 4.8, I'm gonna drive this point home. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. I love that. That seems so funny. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. That sounds so good, right? And then right after that, it's like, wash your hands, you're a sinner. <laughs> But what what he's saying here is not it's not it's not a condemnation. He's saying, "Say goodbye to the past. Let it go. Walk away, and walk towards me." I, I thought about the other day. I was working on uh, underneath my uh, truck and messing with stuff and running cables and stuff. And my hands they got dirty. Obviously, you're dealing with under uh, a vehicle carriage. It's nasty oily, dusty, gross. And so when I'm done with that, what what's the first thing I go and do before I touch my food or my family or anything else? I wash my hands of it because I'm done with that. I want it off of me. I want it away. I want it gone. I want to draw near to something else. In this situation, same thing. God says you're done with that. Your your history, your past is washed clean. Wash it away and walk towards me. Wash your hands you sinners, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It's your decision. Where's your loyalty lie? Is it with God or is it with the world? First Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Pray continually. And I'm learning this more and more every day. If we're not learning uh, as Christians still today, then we're dying, right? We're not growing. So I'm still learning what it means to pray continually, and I'm putting it to practice. It's not just something that I hold in my mind as knowledge. Yes, it's great to have the mind of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, but if I don't apply it, nothing is happening. So I'm applying the word of God, pray continually. The other day, I'm walking through the church, and I have these boots on right here, and uh, I love my cowboy boots. They're... um, they're the half zip cowboy boots because I wear my pants too tight so I can't wear the, the, the full ones. So I got half zip cowboy boots. And um, I'm walking here through the lobby and if you've heard me walk in these shoes, you would know these are very clicky clacky boots. And Billy, our, our community pastor, he said, um, he was like, dude, every time I hear you, I start to get nervous. Because when I was in high school, my, my principal would always wear clicky clacky shoes. And, and I would always feel like I'm doing something wrong. So he's like, I hear you and I'm, I get nervous. It reminds him instantly of his high school experience and that authority that that, that principal carried, right? So I'm... I'm um, on Wednesday, I'm going on a prayer walk around this whole premise, around this building, around the, the property that's over here that McGrory owns. And nothing is built on yet. And around that building there, I mean like around the whole perimeter, I'm, I'm walking this thing. And I didn't have access to my tennis shoes, so I'm wearing these boots, and I'm walking outside, I'm walking around. And let me tell you though, these boots are made for walking because they're super comfortable. Um, and so I'm walking around and I'm praying, I'm praying for all sorts of things. I'm praying for today. I'm praying for the future of the Power Place Academy. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for the future of, of what's happening here in this business park, for what God has for us here. I'm praying for all these different things. And, and as I'm praying as I'm putting that into practice, I'm feeling the authority of heaven come in my spirit, and and and, and it becomes more—I um, don't know what the, what the word is—authoritative, uh, fiery, however you want to say it. Um, so I begin praying that way, and I felt as I'm walking, I'm walking right here, right back here in front of um, the church, and I'm walking on the cement, and I I I had the Holy Spirit remind me of what Billy said. And he said, the enemy is afraid of the sound of your boots because he knows as you're walking, you're praying. And, and, and there's nothing, yeah, amen. There's nothing special about the boots. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing special about me. But, but I, I got the picture in my mind of, of what if God's people, what if the people of the power place began to put on their spiritual boots and began to walk in in unison toward victory and claiming what God has for us here, what would happen with the sound of unified clicking boots? It would make the enemy's kingdom tremble because if one person is making the enemy tremble, imagine a unified people. Have you ever heard an army march in, in unison? it is an intimidating sound. I mean, like, it can send chills up your spine. Spine, I said spined, (laughs) whatever that is. Um, This unified sound of an army is the picture that kept playing over and over in my head. And I believe that God is calling his people, this church, to be a unified front in the spiritual realm through prayer. Put on your spiritual boots and begin to walk with authority. Let him hear the click clack of your heels as you begin to pray fervent prayers, prayers that will move mountains with faith, even as small as a mustard seed, because the the prayer of a righteous person who is the believer is powerful and effective. That's what James 5.16 says. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When the world's culture shifts, never give in to the pressure. Number three, this is the last one. Worship team, you can come back up. Daniel 6, starting in verse 5, says this. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Because they saw that Daniel never gave in to the shifting culture. He was pulled from Jerusalem into Babylon, essentially tried to be brainwashed, yet he still knew his God. He still followed his God. And they knew that nothing could shake him unless it had to do with the law of his God. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, or Darius, as my boy Darius would say, put the decree in writing. And and just to give a little bit of context, King King Darius, he, he loved Daniel. He had nothing against Daniel. He didn't even think that this would be something to oppose him. He was just doing what others were asking him to do, to please them. So he put the decree in writing. And these men, they caught Daniel praying. It says in the, in the scripture, they found him praying as he had done previously. So they saw the pattern. They saw that he was faithful. He was consistent and praying to God. And they took him and they threw him in the lion's den. I always had this picture of a lion's den. I don't know if it was like just based on Sunday school when I was growing up and I had this picture that The mouth of the den was on top in like this cavernous kind of thing and um that the lions were down in the the, you know the den Uh, but now today my understanding of a lion's den is a lot different but I always have that picture of like the opening is at the top somewhere and I, I, I picture Daniel falling to the ground in the midst of these lions uh And if you know anything about lions, lions, they run in prides. And typically they have one alpha male. Uh, They can have other males, but there's one alpha male that they all look to. And you know, the females and the cubs and all that, but there's one alpha male. And when Daniel was thrown into this den, I don't know how they kept lions in a den back in this day, if they used it for, torture things and I don't know I have no idea but all I know is that I'm sure these lions were hungry and I know they were hungry because later on we'll see that revealed I know they were hungry but when Daniel was thrown into the pit nothing happened nothing happened so what this tells me is that somehow those lions sensed the presence of another alpha male that lived within Daniel. And that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of Judah living in Daniel. Now, listen, I can't, I can't prove this, so don't take this as, as God's word. But this is just an idea. It's a concept that I had. It's something I felt like the Holy Spirit uh, did in me. Because why else would the lions not touch him? Why would they back away and keep their mouths closed? Why would they not devour him overpower him crush him with their power unless they sense the presence of another alpha male in that den the lion of the tribe of judah was in their midst and king darius he he couldn't sleep all night tossing and turning couldn't wait for some sun up to come because he knew what happened he he just knew if he got thrown in the pit, they must have done it before because if he got thrown in the pit, King Darius, he was wrecked. He's like, I know he's gone. And King Darius is approaching. And I can just imagine him hearing, you know, as he's approaching this, this faint, humming, singing, whatever you wanna call it, of a voice from within the cave he gets closer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Lift up your song, cause you've got a line, side of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. King Darius gets here. He's like, "Wait a minute! I hear something coming from the mouth of the cave. Roll it back. I hear something happening." He rolls it back. Daniel is worshiping his God, and they, he says, get this man out of there. From this day forward, we will worship the God of Daniel. We'll worship the God of Daniel, because it's the one true God. And he says to the people who plotted against Daniel, not only those people, but his fam- their families, threw them in the mouth of the lion's den. And here's how I know they were hungry, because before they reached the floor, His word says they were overpowered and their bones were crushed and they were devoured. They were hungry lions sitting there with Daniel in the moment that Daniel left, in the moment the alpha male lion's presence left. They threw them in and they were overpowered and crushed. That's the power of my God. That's the faithfulness of my God. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God is big enough. It doesn't matter what people have told you. It doesn't matter what the doctors have told you. Isn't that right, Kevin? God is big enough. We've seen his faithfulness. A new era was ushered in through Daniel, (laughs) just like a new era was ushered in last week. Pastor Zane prophesied over this church and where we're headed. We are living in a new era, a season of seasons, an era of increase. Only because of God. But let me say this. This story is not to glorify Daniel. There's nothing special about Daniel here. This story is to glorify God, and it's a call to say yes and to be obedient to Him. Because if it wasn't Daniel, He would have used someone else. If it wasn't Daniel, He would have used someone else. It's a call to say yes to God, to have next level faith in God, because we go from faith to faith according to Romans, according to Romans one seventeen. We go from faith to faith. And that's 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 not to say the faith behind us is unimportant. It's faith to grow off of. Because down here, this is the, the salvation. This is faith. This is where faith begins. It's your foundation. And then you go from faith to faith. What does God have before you? What are you trusting him in? What are you believing? For in him and then you go from faith to faith faith is, is both the foundation and the goal let me say that again faith is the foundation and the goal it's not one or the other it's both and the foundation and the goal you can't build on something unless you have a foundation and my contractor said amen right You can't build on something unless you have a foundation. It starts there, but it goes up from there, from faith to faith. Let's stand this morning. I'm gonna ask you three questions. Number one, will I change the world through co-laboring with Christ, or will the world change me? Will my identity come from God, or will it come from the world? Will I pray ridiculous, untamed, faith-filled prayers because I know he can answer them? Or will I just settle for what I think is feasible because it's comfortable, because it's attainable in my thought process? Have the mind of Christ. God, I know it's possible through you. And I I just talked about the the foundation of faith being salvation. And maybe you've come today and, and you need a foundation to build on. Maybe you want to have a relationship with Jesus and you wanna start it here. We'll never let a Sunday go, if we can help it, to offer you an opportunity to know Jesus as your personal savior. So if you're here today, and you wanna know Jesus as your personal savior, if you want that foundation, would you just join me down here, down front? We've got people that would love to pray with you, that would love to resource you, because we wanna walk with you. Anybody here who wants to say yes to Jesus, wants a relationship with him, I'm gonna wait just a few more seconds. I don't want to, I don't wanna miss anybody. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna trust then that everybody in this room has already said yes to Jesus or maybe you're in the middle of dealing with that. I'm gonna pray that God moves your heart, but I'm gonna trust that everybody else knows Jesus. That tells me one thing. That tells me that we need to implement the last part of why The Power Place exists, why we as Christians exist, to go and engage with the world. This is not a call to to shame you. This is not a statement to say, oh man, I should have done that. This is to encourage you. Be a marketplace missionary. Just like Pastor Zane said last week, We're called, there's a special anointing of evangelism that has been placed on this house. So go and do, go and do. Tell people the good news. Tell people what God has done in your life. That's all it takes. There's not a fancy uh, way that you have to do this. It's literally, hey man, I don't know what you're going through. I see something heavy on you. Here's what God did in my life. I know he can do it for you. Do you wanna come to church with me? Do you want to know Jesus as your savior? Whatever that may be, easy easy door for an invite. Get people in the house that can have an opportunity to meet him face to face. So I'm gonna commission you to do that. Go and tell people about what God has done in your life. And then lastly, you've heard about this next level of faith from Daniel today. I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at, but I know that my God is big enough. I know that he's able. I know that he's willing. So if you are needing a next level of faith, this altar is open. And we're just gonna walk around. We're gonna pray with you. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna believe with you that God can and will do whatever you need. And let me just teach teach for a minute on on this gift of faith. Because there's the gift of faith and then there is the fruit of the spirit, faith, which is often interpreted as faithfulness. There's the gift and there's the fruit. I'm talking about the gift. They, the, the difference, you can look at them two different ways. And uh, Derek Prince explains it this way. And I thought it was such a beautiful way. He said, you can look at it uh, between the difference of an apple tree and a Christmas tree. An apple tree, you plant it and it takes a long time for it to produce the fruit that it has in it all along, but it goes through a long process. You have to cultivate it, you've gotta water it, and then over time it begins to bear fruit. A Christmas tree, a gift can be placed under or can carry a gift, it can be placed, given or taken away in a moment's notice. The difference between the fruit and the gift is that there will be times that God imparts the gift of faith for a specific situation in your life and in fact it addresses this very kind of faith in mark 11 you know the story about the fig tree when jesus and his disciples are walking past it and it's not bearing fruit and he curses the tree says you will never bear fruit again and then on the way on their way back he sees that fig tree again and the disciple says look this this tree isn't it's withered and and all jesus says is have faith in god (laughs) what a weird response right but the original that's the english interpretation translation i always get those mixed up um the greek really what it's saying is have the faith of god Now think back when God spoke the world into existence, he used his words. He spoke the world into existence. That same kind of faith, Jesus is saying, I use this here. I had the faith of God in this situation. I spoke to it, it had to obey. So whatever you're believing for, this is the kind of faith that we're implementing. It's not the, the, the fruit, which is so important. It's faithfulness. It's the gift of faith. God, I need you. I'm desperately in this situation, I am not enough. I cannot do it on my own. God, I need your faith. I need you to impart your faith, even as small as a mustard seed for this situation. And that's all you need. That's all you need is for a portion of his faith. That's how big our God is. He's saying, even if you have a little tiny sliver, a mustard seed, the smallest seed known to man, even if you have that much, you can say to this mountain, move from a mountain. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there with faith as small as a mustard seed. So that's the kind of faith I'm talking about today. And listen, it doesn't come by striving. You can't, you can't, wish it enough. You can't force it enough. You can't say, okay, God, I'm going to hold my breath until you do it. You don't strive for this kind of faith. You yield. God, I submit myself to you. I'm not strong enough on my own. I can't handle it on my own. God, I need you. I need your faith for this situation. I need to say to this mountain, move from here to there. That's all it takes. And he'll decide to give the gift of faith when you're ready, not necessarily in our timing. If you desire that today, would you join me in these altars? If you need the gift of faith in a certain situation, in an area of your life, would you take a step today? Amen. We've got people coming to pray with you. And as we pray, we're just gonna worship church. Listen, if you're in your seat, if you're not stepping forward for this, then I'm gonna encourage you, come and pray for those who are here. Join with them in faith and believe with them for whatever the need is. Come on, let's pray. Thanks for checking out the Power Place audio podcast. The Power Place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word so that you can engage your world. Here at The Power Place, we believe the Bible from cover to cover, and our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to every area of your life.